In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Hey guys, when has your hobby gotten out of control? What are the signs when you're out of balance? How do you protect your children and your marriage from your passions? Find out on this episode. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army. I salute you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I am Jim Ramos, your host of Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men, helping dudes in the stress bubble become their best version and beyond. Guys, this week we have a hero story from Justin on Instagram. Now, guys, remember, we have a goal this year, our campaign, if you will, of having 365 hero stories in 365 days. Right now, we're way ahead of schedule, actually. A hero story is a story of transformation that somehow God has used our ministries to guide and transform you into a better version. And this one comes from Justin. He wrote this. I wanted to reach out. Thank you for what you're doing with this podcast. I found your podcast well deployed last year. The podcast provided comfort, but it has also driven me to a better Christian man in all regards, but especially regarding my family and the service of others. Your podcast has assisted me in helping others through rough times and situations. So thank you and keep up doing what you're doing. Hey, first of all, Justin, thank you for your service. Hit us up at info at menandthearena.org with your physical address. We want to send you some swag, man. And thank you again for serving this great nation. Hey, guys, stay tuned to the end of this interview today for our weekly man law. And guys, thank you for making this Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. I'm excited today uh, to have our guest on the show, Shane Sun. He's been married 35 years to his beautiful wife, Jean. Shane's been involved in church planting since 1990, planted four churches, and that is excruciating. It's like the, that's like the, that's like the gnarly portion of ministry, planting a church. And so in 2003, Shane had a heart or those other guys and gals planting churches. And so he launched a ministry for church planters that is still going on today. 
Shane currently serves as the director of Aspen Grove Church Planting Network, and he also serves on his denomination's national church planting team. He recently completed his memoir, Moon and Sun, and that's S-U-N-N, a story of resolved familial pain told in a fishing tale. And so, Shane, I'm excited to have you on the show, brother. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Jim. Glad to be here. Yes. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. So you have a lot of stuff going on here. You've been in the church planting ministry for decades, which I really appreciate, by the way. And it's interesting because I wouldn't have expected to read a book about fishing from a church planter. And so this was really interesting. And this is a, a, a large book with a ton of pictures. And I'll be honest with you, I... I, I drooled a little bit. I coveted. I, I saw multiple pictures of salmon that were 100 pounds. Am I right? They had to be 100 pounds. Yeah, I think the world record's 106. So most of those big ones you see are about 80 in the 80. Uh, I think the largest uh, moon, that's my dad, nickname. His real name's James Williams' son. But in grade school, you know, last name with a uh, last name like son, his buddies called him Moon. And it's stuck, and nobody knows him any differently. But I think the biggest one uh, he ever caught was 88 pounds and some odd ounces. And at the time, that was like, oh, I probably won't get this exactly right, but maybe four pounds off the world record. But since then, in the, that very river, the Kenai River in, in Alaska, uh, the world record was caught there. And so... But the you know the fishing tale is is about my dad trying to resolve yeah uh, the pain of him losing his dad, and he tried to resolve that through the next fishing trip. Mm. In fact, my dad's a you know he for many years he said he didn't believe, but he does say he believes now. But I asked him, I was so curious. I was like, Dad, you're you're like next level. I love to fish. I love tying flies. I I love everything outdoors. You, I learned uh, all these things from following you around, mm-hmm. and I love it too. And uh, and I'm a good fisherman in my own right. And uh, I said, "But you're next level." I mean, why? And he thought for a minute and looked at me. Said, "You know, I don't ever uh, think I've ever caught a fish since Mac. That was my granddad. Since dad, my dad died." that I was not somehow saying, look, daddy, I caught this one for you. Oh. And I thought, whoa, th- that is, most people don't understand themselves that deeply. So that was the other thing. Uh, growing up, he became a hero because before, you know, Into the Wild and those kind of books, mm-hmm. he went, he, the, the, his fishing uh, over-the-top fishing, addiction to fish, fishing, you might say, it cost him his marriage. It, uh, you know, so I grew up with an absent dad. I would see him when he would return from Alaska in the summers, and we'd do great things together. But then he'd be gone again, and sometimes he'd, you know, not gone again just for the summer, but for a year or so. And I, he was Whoa. so, you know, so living off the land, leaving in suspect vehicles with no food and money. You know, I worried if I would ever even see him again. And, uh, yeah, so he became a legend. You know, everybody, when I was growing up, although he was not around, I would get questions from all the men in the, my small Mississippi town. You know, tell me the 
you know, latest exploit of Moon. What's he doing? You know, I heard this, I heard that. And he was, he became, he had legendary status. And then he, same thing happened in Alaska. He's a legend on the Kenai and his, you know, uh, exploits of the, of the King Salmon. He, he, he is a purist, does not like fishing in a boat, uh, is about giving the fish every advantage, does not. Yeah. So, so I would have people tell me, say, Hey, Shane, you need to write a book about your dad. And I always just shrugged it off. Mm. Uh, and, and because, you know, I say in the book, uh, he was everyone else's hero, hero, but mine, not so much. Yes. Yeah. So, well, that, that was, that is really interesting. So you decided to write a book about your dad's story. Why? Well, it, I think you could say the Holy Spirit, because there over the years, you know, as I'm resolving as a as a minister and at first becoming a Christian late in high school, but then beginning to God doing deeper work in me. Um, you know, it, it was a process, uh, but through the process of forgiving my dad, it took it took that getting over, you know, him not being there when I needed him and uh, looking at my own, you know, I, you can't forgive anybody else unless you look at your own stuff. Yeah, for and, sure. And we, you know, none of us think we have stuff. So it, it took looking at my own stuff in order to say, oh, and then, then working through the process and it, it was, and it, it was a process. And, but once I worked through, through the process and it, it's, it's ongoing. It, it, you know, you, we don't, this out of glory ever work through all of it, mm -hmm. but there was a time when I got to the place that I was able to say, wow, uh, the, you know, I say in the first part of the book, I learned to fish behind greatness, not knowing all the while I was learning how to be a minister. Cause my dad, he, he was so different in that in the 60s in the rural south where there was rampant racism um there was degradation or my dad noticed all that and he took care of people that other people didn't want to have anything to do with including he would catch fish fillet them and take them to poor people who didn't have food to eat he took care of the town drunk he took he 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 befriended uh, the African-American community. And still to this day, he has tons of, and so that was so different because most, most people didn't know who they were enough to be who they were. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I look back on all that and I was like, whoa, you know, it, it was such an influential part of my life, but I had to resolve the bad parts, uh, you know, had to, in the words of Mark Twain, he said, most of us are attracted uh, to men of Midas. And we ignore men of gold. And what I, I say in the book, and I, is a little um, chapter in there, I, I had to look at my own Midas um, before I could see the gold in my dad. Mm. And so that's, the, you know, so it goes through that transition and then the, the amazing lessons that I, you know, that I recount, that I learned. And it's broad, like catch and release, ecology, um, you know, uh, there's a section on race and what was going on in Mississippi at the time and a lot of stuff that I learned 
and it did make me it it it, it created it's it created who I am. It it yeah, yeah. who I am as a person. Yeah. So the men who will read this book, the dads who will read this book, what do you hope a dad takes away from your book about himself? That's a great, great question. Um, we live in uh, what's been called the generation of divorce. Uh, I am a, I am a director of a church planter uh, assessment center that assesses uh, church planting couples, new young pastors uh, uh, for church planting. And ten years ago, we might have uh, a couple say, uh, you know, the the husband or spouse or, or wife, they're coming from a divorced family. In the last, you know, today, it, it's likely that both are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're carrying the trauma of, and the, you know, the broke, brokenness of a sin-cursed world of having broken relationships with their family. And so to answer your question, that's kind of, this kind of a long answer. But my hope is that people will have the courage to look at their pain. Because yeah, I say in the book, pain drives us in directions that we're often unaware. Uh, Kirk Thompson wrote the book, uh, The Soul of Shame. He spoke to our pastor's group here in Denver. I, I was there late, so there was only one chair left, and Kirk was sitting right here, and I was literally sitting almost rubbing shoulders, and he was talking about his book and talking about how shame and pain motivates us in ways we don't understand. And all my buddy, pastor buddies started making fun of me. They said, yeah, the, you should have called the book The Soul of Shane, not shame. And uh, so I just told everybody in the room, I said, you know, the truth is I planted the four churches that I planted. Most of them, I planted them out of my pain and shame because it. I was driven, even as a pastor, and even knowing the the, the gospel, I was driven to... Um, compensate uh, for pain and shame uh, by performing. You know. Uh, so I've got a question about that. So I yeah. understand the pain part. So the shame, I'm a little bit confused by because shame is something that I've the way I understand shame, it's something that I have instituted upon myself. So there's shame involved because of something I've done. So are you saying that you did the church planting out of the pain you experienced from, let's say, your father and then some shame out of your own life? Yeah, I, I would beg to differ a little bit on the shame. I think it's both and. We have shame from our sin and failure, uh-huh. but we have shame from the garden. When Adam and Eve sowed fig leaves uh, to cover themselves, they were not covering pain although they were, but they were, they knew for the first time they weren't what they should be. Uh-huh. And we all have that. And so I love Martin Luther. I've read all of his works. Um, and he said, there are two devils. He said, one devil uh, is the condemning devil. And he tells men in this case, you're not, he, he says, he says, you're not what you should be. You're not good enough. You're not a good enough father. You don't go to church enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You do, you lust too much. You do all these things. And uh, he said, that devil says you're not what you should be, but there's another devil. And he says, here's how you can be. 
And so shame drives us through our own performing to be what we think we should and can be through, it can be religious performance, Hmm. it can be overfishing, it can be anything. Uh, When the real answer that covers our shame is that we're the beloved sons and daughters of the living God, and that, you know, that's it. That's the heart of the gospel. And that when I, but a lot of us know that in our heads, but it, it it's not, you know, travel down deep enough in us that it begins to influence uh, and change how we live. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's really, inter- it's really fun to have different guys in the podcast that we have a different outlook on things. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, cause I look at the garden and I see Adam and Eve covering themselves in shame. And then I see God killing an animal and covering them himself, which is a prophecy, I believe, to Jesus coming and his blood covering us. And so uh, on a personal level, I understand the pain of uh, the pain I've inflicted upon myself or others. But through Romans 8.1, I don't experience that condemnation. Right. My experience is when I'm covering my secrets. You know what I'm saying? And right. so I, <laughs> that's really an interesting. I, I like the different perspectives here, and it's fun to to kind of go, okay, we both love the Lord and have different perspectives of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think it, I don't think that that's a different perspective. What I'm, t- maybe I wasn't clear. What I'm trying to say is that's both and. Okay. There's a, you might say it this way we have a residual shame as a result of the fall. Okay. And although, okay. yes, although so original has, sin, original sin. Okay. Okay. Right. And the de- that second devil I'm telling you that Luther talked about, he's always appealing. The default mode of the human heart is works righteousness. Yeah. And the, the, if the devil can't get you, uh, you know, the, the Luther's first example of devil, you know, find your life in sex, drugs and rock and roll. And he'll get you the other way by saying you're not what you should be. Here's how you can be. And we, we're subtly all, I mean, even as Christian men, we're dealing with that tension. Yes. And, and, we, and, and I also believe this, we'll do anything, I did anything, to avoid really stopping long enough to take a deep look at p- pain that I'd buried. And so writing the book was cathartic. Because we went to, we drove, uh, flew into New Orleans, drove north to Mississippi, and spent three days interviewing my dad, who's still living, and says he's driving to Alaska this summer at eighty-six. So he, so wasn't he a high school teacher? Like, yes, he leave every summer and leave. Oh man, that's just hilarious. My dad is an avid fishing guy, and my dad was a high school teacher, and so a lot of this stuff. I mean, he wasn't <laughs> that aggressive with his fishing, but he definitely, we definitely caught a few fish. But so, hey, I want to go back to the back of your book. It says that the book is about retracing your life and right. that, that you're going to lead us on a voyage of self-discovery, ultimately, which is what we've been talking about, ultimately realizing the valuable and diverse lessons that you learned from your one-of-a-kind dad. And so so you said that your dad was legendary. Are there, are there any other things that made him one-of-a-kind? That's a great question. Uh, I think there are numerous things. He he had no fear of death. I mean, most of us don't do stupid things or, or risky things because we're afraid that's going to be it. But he, um, you know, he, and, and I guess he had a kind of confidence in his, um, 
you know, outdoor prowess, his physical ability. He became the go-to guy. And, you know, even the, you know, back in the day, there weren't many EMTs, but if there was a, like an accident or emergency or drowning, I was shocked at that. that he And I was, and I was a kid, you know, we yeah. might be fishing somewhere and I, I would watch him retrieve drowning victims, which freaked me out. At least, you know? at least three, right? Yeah. Or were there yeah. four? I, I remember. Oh, there. I think there are four examples in the book. I was yeah. not with uh, with him, but w on uh, three of those occasions. But you know, he. So he was he was bigger than life, tough. I mean, just yeah. a tough. But he didn't walk around pretending to be tough. He he just was, and he he had so many uh, he his skills in swimming and diving. He, I mean, he could just. I mean, he. And his being comfortable in the water, um, you know, and then then back to the not afraid to die. I mean, he, you know, he he lived that out in his, you know, just um, the way he lived. I mean, and and continues. I mean, he's, you know, I, there's a story in there about uh, the silver alert when he didn't show up. We were going to spend a week fishing together on the north tip of Vancouver Island great salmon uh, fly fishing for salmon in the salt water. And he, on those, on big trips like that all my life, he's always shown up a week early, but this time he, he didn't come. And, and I thought something's up and I can't get him to carry a cell phone. Doesn't even have a phone in his house, which is archaic, but he just won't do it. I, I even bought him one and it lasted about six months before oh, he, he discarded it. So I, I couldn't, I didn't know what was wrong. My sister called and said, is, is dad there yet? And I said, no, he's not. I said, he should have been here three or four days ago. And she called the next day and she said, yeah, I'm worried. He, he complained of chest pains, uh, you know, leaving uh, the day before he left. So I started envisioning the worst, like we all do. He's, you know, he's, he had a heart attack and he's in the back of his, he's got this little Chevy S10 with a little shell camper. It, it, to him, it's heaven. And he sleeps in there when he gets tired of driving. I thought, well, he's at some roadside park, you know, rotting away. And we'll, I'll hear, you know, when somebody finds him or he's gone off the side of a mountain somewhere. And, you know, this truck will be found, uh, you know, you wow. know, and, you know, but just, you know, uh, not knowing that instant that ha that happening, you know, um, it was part of what awakened me to there was there were cause I was out there fishing with some pastor buddies from uh, Washington state and, um, and I couldn't even concentrate on fishing. Mm. I was in my mind, I was planning my dad's funeral and he, and up though, huh? he did show up, <laughs> but, and that's where I'm headed. Cause I confronted him. I said, dad, that you, you could have called, you know, got his truck broke down the middle of nowhere. Cause he always drives back roads. And he said, uh, and I said, I thought, you know, finally got around to saying he had an excuse for everything I said. And he finally got around to saying, I said, uh, you know, I thought you were dead. Christy, uh, we put out a silver alert. And when I said, I thought you were dead, he said, well, there wouldn't have been anything you could have known about that anyway. So he just has had this, you know, I would just say a lack of fear of death. Just, I mean, and he, and you know, so rescuing somebody, he ran into a burning grocery store 
And when I wrote this book, I was doing some blogging about it. And I had this guy I didn't even know uh, send me a picture of a safe. And he said, this was in my dad's grocery store. And the, 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 the thing was falling in. The roof was caving in on fire. And your dad, Moon, who must have been about 19 then, ran in because he asked, is there anything in there you have to have? He ran in and got the safe. This guy has the safe on his in his office wow. today. So he's always been that way. Now, some people would might call that foolishness, but I, you know, I he just seems to be have this lack of fear. So, uh, so yeah, when I read the book, it was like incredibly impressive. I can see why your dad was legendary. I mean, the the courage. Uh, being the go-to guy when there was tragedy, they would go go get Moon, you know. Mm -hmm. thing. So as a father, you know, here, so that's a a wonderful thing to pass on to your you know your children, you know, courageousness, you know, the willing to uh, willing to go in and and serve others at your own potential demise. Where where did he? And I you've alluded to this a little bit, but where did he fail you? In the book, you said he was absent uh, several places. Where did he fail you as a father? I think that's the main place, just not being there, you know. So as I grew older, he went on a trip to Alaska and he didn't come back for over two years. What? And, you know, oh, oh. He lived off the land and and uh, and he worked on you know an oil pipeline and you know so he could keep fishing. And it was the time you know when you're you're twelve and thirteen, going through puberty. Started you know by fourteen, I'm playing football and. 15, I'm playing high school football, and he's just not there to see that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there's just something empty. You're walking, I'm walking around with this emptiness that my dad, you know, and I grew up in Mayberry, you know, back in the day, yeah. and yeah. I didn't know any other kids, you know, that at this stage that had divorced parents or their dad wasn't around. So I think mainly that, and, and it was also hard to reconcile. He was everybody, like I said, everybody else's hero. And it, it seemed wrong for me to be able to admit that there was, you know, I just thought it was normal. I tried to stuff it and just assume that it was normal. Uh -huh. I, I like the fact that it was everybody else's hero. You know, all the men in town said, they would say things to me like, I wish I could be like Moon. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah. Must so hurt to hear that. So, so, so here's, here's a question I have because. Offline, you and I talk. We both are avid uh, sportsmen. I see an antler behind you. I'm it may be a white-tailed deer or or a small. I think, that, I think that's a small muley. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the the, the white one's over there. That's a white tail. Yeah. Yeah. That's what. I was, yeah. 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 Oh, that's the one you see. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So so my so my question is, and I use hunting all my life as a i love it i was born and raised that way like you and i as a believer now have used that to recharge my batteries the balance for me personally i'm sure you as well is at what point does my does my spirit being recharged become redundant and now i've got too much and i'm i'm using this hobby to the demise of those i care about so where's the balance uh, let, let me start here. Why yeah. is having a hobby so important for us as men to recharge our batteries? Let's start there and we'll work forward. From okay. There. That's a great question. So I'm, I'm a hunting guide. I have a small ranch North and West of steamboat Springs, Colorado, and I do some fishing gui guiding in Alaska. And I do that cause I love it. 
And, uh, but it's also uh, what I, I think I knew it, but I've been surprised by it. I get men out there and I only got two or three at a time, sometimes two, sometimes three. And when they, we engage um, God's creation, big mm -hmm. elk, be, hearing a bugle and seeing giant mule deer, uh, at night when I'm cooking and we're sitting around talking, they begin to open up. Yeah. I just believe that men have to engage together in some epic adventure. For sure. Uh, and so they begin to open up about their marriage. They know I'm a pastor. I don't have to play that card. And, and, and that they know that I'm real and authentic, that I'm not going to lay some heavy spiritual, you know, thing on them, but it just becomes natural. So I just think that, you know, and, and, you know, we need to live out. And the second thing I'd say, we need to live out an embodied spirituality. Yes. We are not Gnostics. The, the, you know, the physical is spiritual and the spiritual is also very physical. It's both. Absolutely. And, and so that is such a, I, I see people, they, you know, they, I think it's just a human tendency we separate the two, and we think if we're going to be really spiritual, that I just got to go headlong into everything ministry. And you know, and then the third thing I would say is Jesus Himself. I mean, our example, right? He he yep. got away yep. to recharge, and he needed it, and he was willing to come back and feed the five thousand. But he, you know, but he he had gone into the mountainside to pray, and so I just think we have to have it. I mean, I'm not. I'm my best self uh, when I am uh, taking time to uh, uh, to rest and to be with God and to recharge. Uh, and I come I'm a, I come back as a better pastor, a better a better husband, a better better father. The other thing that you're asking is we all have the propensity toward idolatry. Yes, uh, and that is that when I overfish or overhunt, and I ignore everything else, thinking that the that giant, uh, we call him Moses, the big seven by seven. Oh, yeah, baby. I, I don't think he'll be that big, you know, this year. But last yeah. year we saw him, and we couldn't get him in shooting range. We think that we're going to die and go to heaven when we, right there on the yeah. spot, when, yeah. we shoot, when we shoot Moses. But I have to realize that's not true. That in our in my pursuit of the good, I'm looking for the the true good behind the good. Mm. And that that true good is that I'm known and loved by my heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, and I need to realize as I'm hunting that communing with him in the the space of the outdoors, knowing all the while I'm a, I'm an idolater. I can turn what, you know, I take the goal that God gave us when we were legion and I, I fashion an idol out of it. I take a good hunting fishing or hunting trip, and I obsess over it. And the, uh, one other thing I would say, for me, the reason I did that, I worked, I overworked for most of my life. I, you can't plant four churches and start two church planting networks mm -hmm. without overworking. But I would burn out. I mean, I wouldn't say it was that, because who can admit that I'm really burned out? So I'd, then I would play hard. When I vacationed, I put every, I mean, it, I, I went from the extreme of overwork to the extreme of overplay. And I did it over and over. And part of the, me coming to terms with a deeper 
I just think we bury our pain and and me doing the soul work of uh, confronting my own pain. It did two things. One, it enabled me to not go to work or to play for life. You know, it it started that started, uh, you know, equalizing uh, a little bit, not not completely (laughs) because it's a process, right? But and I think the other uh, part of that that is significant is somehow in that I discovered um, um, just what did it mean to take Jesus uh, back in my story to the very painful moments in my life. And the more that I and I, I want to talk about that in just a minute, because there's a story in the book about it. But the more that I was able to do that and, and experience, Jesus came to save us, right, from mm-hmm. our sins. But he also came to heal us. Yes. And we're not going to get healed completely in this life, but he came to bring healing and to heal us from pain that most of us have stuffed and will not look at. I refuse. You know, I, I told everybody and myself, and I had dealt with some of it. But it's it goes so deep. There are layers of it that we just don't know that are there, and we don't know how they drive us. So that's that process. Uh, you know, it made me not. I'm still prone to turn hunting and fishing into an idol. I just was in Alaska last week. Uh, was supposed to fish in the Homer Homer Alaska Winter King Derby. Oh wow! It got, it got canceled for weather, and I was angry at God. I was like, God, you're in control of the weather. Why did you, you know, I came all the way to Alaska to fish this tournament. I had dreams of winning it. Yeah. But, but we all are, we all have that, but say that back to the story of Moses, say that I shot the seven by seven or my, one of my clients shot him and we were all jumping up and down and thrilled. That's going to go away. Oh yeah. I have to, I have to deconstruct that and and ask the deeper question. There's, you know, uh, there's joy uh, and, and peace in knowing God uh, in the deep recesses of my soul that keeps me from going to, to the extremes of overwork. How many pastors you know that are just workaholics, overworked? Oh. They, handle, they handle stress pretty well. But I think the reason we get stressed out, you ask about men, I'm in the stress bubble. There's a still quiet place that you can go to. Mm-hmm. You know, go go in, and I want again. I want to talk about this a minute, but go inward and met, spend a little time. If it's just a short time, meditating on that. Jesus is telling you, "I'm with you. I love you. You're my beloved, and I've got this." Mm-hmm. And you can unburden that stress. Uh, you can unburden it to me. So, Tim Keller, the pastor and Redeemer in in New York City, uh, yep. has been very influential, and. Um, I heard a sermon, I've heard lots of sermons he preached, but I listened to one and he was talking about uh, uh, Christian meditation, which we all get this, we squirm a bit when we hear that word. And he said, and and some of this is from the pastor Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And so he's talking about, um, as we think about God in, in in spatial orientation, we tend to think of God as up there and out there somewhere. 
And so when we pray, we're talking to God up there and out there. He, but Eugene Peterson and Tim Keller repeating this says, you know, if you read the Psalms carefully, that it's talking a lot about taking God into the recesses of your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, it says, you know, so the Psalms are chock full, chock full of language like, be still, O my soul. Search me and see if there be any hurtful way in me. It, yep. You know, it talks about, so what they're talking about is what does it mean to take the truth of who you are as a redeemed son and daughter of God and 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 take slow down enough to meditate it and take that inside, take God and the truth with you into your own life and heart. Mm-hmm. So I was, one of the big breakthroughs, and it's in the book I said, uh, for me, was I was sitting there reading one of the Psalms and trying to do it, not doing a very good job, trying to slow down and meditate. I was wanting to work on my to-do list and get through reading my quiet time. But, and I can't remember exactly, but some phrase just struck me. It's like the Holy Spirit showed up and I just focused on it. And so I started journaling and writing, and I was writing about what are the most painful events in my life? And I remembered a time where my dad challenged me to a race. I read I was, that. Yep. And, yeah. And at that point, I didn't. I was not a Christian. And he was drunk, right? He was drunk. Yeah. And he he's not a big drinker. And he doesn't drink at all now. But he then he was. And so, in in my meditation in my quiet time, I literally went back to that painful scene. And the difference was this time I knew Jesus, and I, I just asked Jesus, so I'm praying, is what would it have been like if, you know, what I ended up doing is you're not a very good dad. I was ashamed of him and angry and said, for, from now on, I'll be my own dad. I'll take care of myself. And that's how I learned to be independent and strive and achieve and for God and me. But what that did was when I went back there, like Tim Keller and Eugene Peterson talks about, and took Jesus there with me, I didn't have to say I'll be my own dad. Because Jesus, you're my dad. And you you were there in that moment. And I didn't have to react and, and harden my heart and let it turn to, like, stone. And, and that, you know, I just think we have stone hearts at places where we reacted to pain. You know, you um, Frederick Buechner, he passed away. Great writer, uh, uh, you know, philosopher, theologian. He wrote the book "The Sacred Journey," and he it it's really about he. I I think it's his dad took his own life, mm. and and his Puritan grandmother, he calls her, told him to just you just got to face it. Life's tough. You got to deal with the stuff. And the other grandmother said, "You need to leave and go to a Caribbean island for a year and." And he said they tried both those things, neither worked. But he makes an amazing statement in that book. He says, when the life bring, when you face the worst that life has to offer, that the, that the human tendency is to steal your heart and to do something to avoid that severe pain from you know, destroying you. But he said the same steel that you use to insulate your heart became becomes the very steel that insulate insulates you from being transformed by grace. And so my story of taking Jesus to the, that deep level, that painful story, 
it just be, it began to deconstruct this this pain that I had been carrying that it, I wasn't even aware of. You know, the Holy Spirit brought it to my attention, and it's been levels of it. Like I said, writing the book was cathartic because mm-hmm. my wife, who's loving, and I, we have a great relationship, but she was hearing some of these stories, and her concern was for me. The stories were epic, but every, yeah. after every story, we're recording him driving around, and she would go, "Where were you when that happened?" And some of those times I knew exact, I knew how to answer, but some of them I had, I realized I buried that. Mm. I didn't, I couldn't look at it then. And I haven't even been able to look at it now. So there were times when I'm writing the book that I'm laughing out loud. You know, I've got my ear pods on and, you know, and working away. And, and then Jean said she would hear me and I would be weeping because mm. I'm dealing with, you know, it, it was cathartic that way. And so, it, and, so essentially, essentially, the book was writing your own timeline. I mean, part of the book, a lot of it goes back to when your dad was a child or before you, but you're writing a timeline. And through that timeline, you're sequencing moments of pain and having to deal with that. Is, is that, is, am I right in reading that? Exactly. Yeah. And it's really it, interesting. It, yeah. The way I, uh, and there's a story, uh, it's more of a literary story, uh, but the, uh, so I uh, juxtaposed uh, exhilarating stories and wonderful times with my dad and then a, with a painful story. And, and, you know, and so that narrative arc runs through the, uh, you know, through the book, finally with it being resolved. The other thing, I tried not to make it overtly Christian because I live in downtown Denver and I, I share uh, the hope of the gospel with people that think Christianity is, you know, dangerous, not just their antagonist to it. They, so I wanted it to appeal to people that don't, you know, don't necessarily have a relationship with Jesus or are not even in, interested in that. Mm-hmm. And the amazing thing that has happened is I, you know, you, we, we, um, um, you know, are surprised sometimes how God uses things. But when I've spoken and or done book signings, uh, I've had men coming come up to me in tears. It's like, and what they say is, I got so sucked in by the story, the the fishing stories and the epic adventure and your dad that you 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 hit me in the head. <laughs> you know, yeah. you came up behind me because I didn't realize. And I had one guy tell me that he, he his dad uh, his dad and his best friend uh, both drowned in a fishing accident, and that he thought he had dealt with that, and it happened before he could even remember his dad. But he he told me the story in tears. He said that the book. Wow. And it, so that's my hope. My hope is that bo- the book will, you know, enable tough men. Men are tough, right? Uh, but the toughest man, Jesus, the strongest man, Jesus, he was he was so sure of who he, his relationship with his father was able to be weak. Mm-hmm. And so I think men, the the my children, and I've been the tough guy, you know, I've mimicked my dad, and I've got two sons and two daughters. God God's got a sense of humor. I have to deal with both. Yeah. But I think the times that they've grown the most is when I've been able to be weak, both weak and uh, confessing where I've hurt them, being open 
uh, to hearing from them and what, how has my busyness and drivenness and ministry affected you and really listen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I hear things like dad, I don't, there are a lot of times you would seem like you're listening, but you really weren't listening. And, you know, that's hard to hear. Well, but the, it, the, yeah, go ahead. Well, it, I, I resonate with that because I have found, you know, I raised three sons. And so I raised three sons and probably the softest generation our world has ever experienced. And so I wanted to raise up men and they become fine men, excellent men. But what I, where I failed and I was engaged, I was there, I wasn't off. I had a pretty good, a great balance, but where I failed them is sharing the feelings, like sharing yeah. the, the yeah. vulnerability. And But now when that they're in their twenties, I find that is happening more and more, maybe because I think they can handle it. I don't know why I, I haven't processed that enough, but you know, there's a part of it. We're the parent, and we're trying to right. raise them to be obedient, you know, and right. who love Jesus and are good citizens. But as we get older, they start to see our flaws, right? And right. so we might as well express those to our kids because they already see them. So right. really, really good. So I got a question for you. When you were, were going through all of this stuff, and I know that, uh, you know, your dad's fishing addiction cost him a, a marriage. What would you, but, but we also agree that there is a balance that men have to have between filling our soul and losing our soul to this hobby, whatever it is. What we have a, a, a ton of women that listen to this podcast trying to figure out their husbands. Mm. What would you take a moment right now, five minutes, and tell the wives, give the wives some advice about their husbands and their hobbies? Great, great. Um, I, I feel ill equipped to do that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, my wife was patient with me in knowing when I was, she would be. She's just sweet, you know. Maybe I needed a like a, you know, more dominant wife a bit, but but she would she could see when I be, started overworking, or you know, overplaying, overfishing, but she was she was she was patient, and it it was you know, and so I had the space that I didn't feel like now I'm dealing with my own stuff my own broken heart who is prone to idolatry and work and play. And that, and, and I'm also now de dealing with a nagging wife. And, you know, I just think that for both men and women, the issue is not what we do or don't do or get it right or not. Right. It's, it's, it's connecting at the heart level. It's like, you know, if, if it's a difference when my wife, Jean says, Shane, I think you're, fishing too much or you're overdoing it. Uh, it's a difference if she says that in a way that she's angry about it, which she has a right to be because I'm neglecting her. Yes. But if she says it in a way uh, that is, you know, what's going on with you, you know, is, you know, can we talk about the deeper thing? Uh, because I think we, we have a tendency to repent of surface sins. Mm -hmm. I'm stressed and angry. So I kicked the dog. For no good reason other than I was just angry and kicked the dog. But the problem is, is deeper. And, and, and the, you know, I, I love Niels, <laughs> I, I majored in biology. So Niels Bohr's uh, model of the atom, you know, that's got the electron shells and the electrons bouncing out here, but there's the nucleus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And a lot of times we repent of uh, the electrons bouncing out here. I got angry and kicked the dog. 
what I don't repent of is that I'm trying to do uh, life in my own strength. Mm. And I can, you know, I can repent of kick. I got angry. I fished too much, sweetie. You know, uh, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But unless I get in touch with what's going on deeper, that I'm trying to find, I'm, I'm, I have a God substitute. And I think that I'm that I'm going to find life through the next fishing adventure or whatever, and, unless I'm repeating of the deeper idolatry, mm-hmm. which looks good, of my drivenness. E- e- back to my kids, the same thing. That's why I say when I was able to be weak, not talk about when I ignored you or yelled when I was disciplining you and had I had enough and you know threatened them all. You know you're gonna I'm gonna uh, ground you for ten weeks or take away whatever. But when I was able to not only repent from the surface of being harsh, but repent of my sin, like the reason that I had that outburst and didn't lovingly discipline you was because um, that I was seeking to do work ministry in this case out of the power of my own strength. And I didn't have any energy left over. So, and, right. and so what it looks like is to repent of that and saying, oh, Lord Jesus, help, forgive me for take, taking your mantle on myself. And you're with me in this so that I, it, he, he's got it. You know, as I always say, Jesus tells us a lot, men, a lot of times, I've got this. Mm-hmm. And we don't believe it because we think we have to do it. So mm-hmm. if I can repent of the deeper thing where the stress comes from, and, and when I do that with my wife and my and and so I would encourage wives, it's not about the surface. And you, yes, you have a right to be angry when your husband is overworking or over whatever he's doing, but work to connect at the heart level. And 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 at his heart level, you know, the, the cardinal Christian virtue is what love. And how do we look to our spouse with the eyes of love, like you know, we promise at the altar, you know, that we, uh, we're going to present this woman, this man at the other altar without spot, wrinkle, or, or blemish, right? Mm-hmm. And the way that I do that is by loving their heart, loving the best version of them. And so that I'm not attacking them uh, because of their access, but I'm bringing, you know, real love and concern for when they, you know, get, which we all do, we get off kilter, right? Well, what I, what I hear in all of that is when I'm experiencing a moment of sin or whether I have a failure in a certain area, I need to ask the question, why, why did I go there? Why do I have such a need to kill a deer and will not stop (laughs) until I kill a deer? It's not about the hunt. It's the why will I not stop until I kill a deer or catch an 80 pound king salmon out of the Kenai? And answering that question, is it, you know, I don't even really, I mean, I don't even eat salmon. I don't really even like salmon. I mean, they're okay. It's good for you. I know. Well, whatever. (laughs) I'd rather eat a pizza. But I mean, you know, (laughs) what I'm saying is it's not about the food. It's about the, and I love to eat deer meat, but it's not even about the meat. And my wife knows it. You know what I mean? Right, so, right, right, so right. Going back to the heart of it. And so, hey, we're running short on time here, but I got to ask this question. So, well, I want to say one thing. It's not wrong. 
to want to get the deer. Exactly. Or the fish. If We cannot have a Gnostic spirituality, but we have to have a spirituality that is addressing the heart, both me addressing my own deeper motives, what am I really thinking, and we all turn good things into idolatrous things. And guess what? Killing Moses is not going to satisfy me. It's going to then need to be a bigger Moses. And it's a trick, you know, so I have to deconstruct that. And But there's another error to say that it's wrong or the, the, to pursue things. I mean, it, it gives life, but I've got to do it, you know, as a Christian realizing well, we all have that propensity to turn something into idol. Anyway, go ahead. Absolutely right. No, you're absolutely right. So, so where does a guy? Because the guys that are listening to this podcast, I think, are getting it. They they understand there's a balance that. But where does a guy realize? You know what? I've overstepped here. Where does he realize that a once life giving hobby has become a life wrecking addiction or an idol? You know, what are the signs that a man can recognize or our wives listening? What What is a sign or signs when something's beginning to get out of control? So the bumper sticker, or, you know, I don't know if they're still out there, but they are. Are you having are we having fun yet? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think you look at your own heart there. There's emptiness. It's like you the epic adventure didn't give you exactly what you thought it was going to. So again, men, I just need to do more, try harder. Mm -hmm. But it, you know, so there, there's an emptiness that comes from pursuing something other than God himself, because God has created us to know and pursue him. I don't think we spend enough time on the verses uh, that say, you know, things in the Psalms like, whom have I in heaven but thee? And does, uh, besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. Uh, you know, and this is what I might dwell on to, to sit in your temple. And I think, you know, who was it? Anselm, the church father that said, every man that's ever knocked at a door of a brothel is looking for God. Mm. Uh, every man that's tried to, uh, you know, every man that's killed Moses and now he wants, uh, you know, uh, an elk, not the prophet, not Moses <laughs> yeah. in the Bible, but you know <laughs> that that we have to realize that those are good things, and we we need to pursue those things, but that we are prone to the kind of idolatry that we think that's life, but it's only the that life is only found in deeper knowing of God. And back to the husband wife conflict that some of these things can produce, you know, I think, uh, say if I'm driving home when I've overfished, I told my wife I was going to be home the evening before, but I fished past dark and I got up and I didn't tell her cause I lied about this guy fished the next morning too, but I was just packing up, you know, and then I come home. If I can deconstruct in my own life, what I, was really going on as a Christian, that you know, I've now crossed the, some boundary that I'm, I'm thinking this is going to give me life, yeah. and admit to myself when my when I have a conversation with my wife about it, I'm not going to be so defensive. I'm going to be able to say, "You're right." You know, pray for me. I, I sometimes I over, you know, idolize things that that you know help me have a balance there, mm -hmm. because again, it's about shepherding each other's hearts. Yeah.
yeah anyway well you know i well i was laughing because you're talking about why don't we reflect on the deeper verses and i've got the great win-win verse for guys struggling with his hobbies it's psalm 42 man as the deer pants for streams of living water so my soul longs for you oh god where can i go to be with god so there's your you get the hunting there it is that's the thing in one thing man it's awesome <laughs> you can do but that's what we're all we're trying to I'm tell telling right you here. man i think i think we figured it out buddy me and you together yeah, yeah you yeah. got it so we need to go hunting together oh yeah for sure you know it's funny we have a, <clears throat> a little place in eastern oregon so i've been fishing i've been learning how to fish the deschutes river nice. uh, red band trout and nice. uh, and it, my wife's been kind of saying, no pun intended, honey, but let's reel it back in, <laughs> reel it back in, boy. You know what yeah, I mean? So, right, right. So, you know, you're, you're, hey, I'm over here on the shore, you know, type of thing. So, hey, man, I really appreciate you coming on today, Shane. How can these guys get a hold of your book? Uh, the there, it's on Amazon, both the uh, hard, uh, the hardback, hardcover, as well as paperback. Uh, but don't uh, buy it from Amazon. Go to my uh, website. It's uh, Shane Sun Author, S H A N E S U N N Author dot com, and you can you can purchase them on the website. I actually make more money. Authors don't make a whole lot of money unless uh, you are Wayne Jacobson who wrote The Shack. Well, and, he's uh, not making money off that because <laughs> the you know he's not making money off that book because the guy that he wrote it with sued him. And 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 one Wayne wrote the book, but it was the guy's idea. It's a whole other story. But yeah. uh, the poor guy, he sold the two million copies out of his garage in Ventura. <laughs> well, I loved. I I, lo I listened to uh, Men in the Arena podcast with Wayne. I thought that was excellent. You oh, know, talking about uh, just you know again, he was talking about the heart of the gospel, some of the very things we're talking yeah. about. It and was that's a the, great yeah, yeah, it was really a, good. So now I had to make I made fun of Wayne because on his cover he's got a flower, a little daisy. <laughs> right. I was like, Wayne, man, this is such a great book for dads. I but then I love your book, Shane. It's got your dad holding an eighty pound salmon. Now right. I'm telling you what, hey, so hey, and it's it's S U N N guys, so it's Moon and S U N N. So make sure you get that right. And you're looking to get a hold of this book. And I bought a copy for myself. So, Hey, Shane, thanks so much for coming on this show, man. Really appreciate our time together. Give me a closing thought. Closing thought is uh, to all you men uh, and your wives is uh, do the hard work of uh, taking the gospel from your head to your heart mm. and, and, and shepherd each other's heart. I mean, uh, our, you know, the goal of every Christian should be from altar to altar, the, yes. the marriage altar to the altar before Jesus. What would it look like for me to present my wife in radiance and beauty because I've loved her heart well? Mm. What would it look like uh, for you wives to present your husband at the second altar, radiant and beautiful because you've done the hard work of shepherding and I'm not saying this is easy because yeah. we would rather just live on the surface, you know, rather than going deeper uh, in, in determining what am I really what's really going on. So do that hard work. That's what I would uh, leave you with. The other thing I would say, I, spe I do speaking engagements. And if you have a men's group and you would like to explore more about what it means for men to get really get in touch with their pain, because I'm convinced we know Jesus as uh, for salvation. But many of us have not done the hard work of taking Jesus to the deeper levels of our pain. And that's why our sanctification halts.
because mm-hmm. we're not, we we've got areas that we've covered up that we need to break, we need the Holy Spirit to break out in Jesus to heal us and get us over. You know, why are we angry? I walked around. I didn't say this. I mean, I could talk forever, but I didn't say this. I walked around with residual anger just under the surface mm-hmm. uh, because of what I just told you. So that and and Jim, thank you. I, I think men in the arena is great. Uh, and, and you've been encouraging. It's been great to be on. Our friend Gary McClusker led you to Christ. He read my book and had me speaking at his church in uh, Parker, uh, South Denver. That really went well. So yeah, my spiritual father and family, Ramos family heroes. So I got to tell you, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, you know, I agree 100%. Guys, listen, we find Jesus through our pain. We come to Jesus through our pain. We go deeper through Jesus through our pain. And that is true. But I had to laugh when you're talking about altar to altar. I was, I thought you were going to say A L T A R from the altar to A L T E R being altered, being changed. So, <laughs> yeah. so I think you can go altar to altar with an A R or altar to altar with an E R. So, right. Hey, <laughs> exactly. Thanks, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Okay. All right, Jim. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Take, take care. Hey, Shane, thanks so much, man, for coming on the show, sharing your wisdom and experience in this book with our listeners. We know it's going to help our guys become their best version. Hey, guys, make sure that you are following us on your podcast app. So a lot of you uh, listen to the show, but don't follow. So go in there to your podcast app, whatever it is, and hit subscribe or follow. It really helps us climb in the rankings on all platforms. So if you do that for us, that'd be a massive Benefits. So thanks ahead of time for doing that. Guys, I want to close with a man law. As you know, our man laws are supplied by you mostly. Uh, sometimes they're supplied by yours truly. Our man laws are designed to guide you down the path of life and having some fun time doing it. So man law number 10 in my book, Man Laws, 100 Ways to Get Your Man Card Revoked and Rules to Live By is this. Finish everything well. The rule to live by is this, guys. Did you know that your last impression is your lasting impression? So make your last impression a great lasting impression. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. Okay. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.